An uplifter is a compelling leader who tries to breathe life and hope into people around them. Who listen and care and guide and help. Whose way of being in the world inspires. Who uplifts with humor and understanding. Who leads by example. Don't judge. Vulnerable. Bold determination. Who are here to create a better world. Who can learn and teach. Who encourages you. Who shines their light to lead other people. Who uses their best self in order to help others. I found the life that I liked and I worked toward that. We are all uplifters. Mwah, big love. This is Julie Hughes. I would love to nominate Kim Dakin. Welcome to the Uplifters Podcast. I'm your host, Aranza Savas. And if you've been here before, you know that we talk to uplifters, the women who are focused on making their corner of the world a little bit better and leaving a positive impact. And today we are joined by Kim Dakin. And Kim was nominated by Julie Hughes, who you met on one of our earlier episodes. Kim is a mindset coach, and she's also the author of Head, Heart, and Hands Listening and Coach Practice. She has so much wisdom to impart. But one of the things she said that I found most energizing was that by listening with empathy, curiosity, creativity, and navigation, we can change our lives, our community, and our world. So Kim, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for that lovely introduction. I hope I can live up to it. You have already lived up to it. Thank you. So Kim, tell me how you became focused on listening and connecting with our inner sages. I'll start with why I became fascinated with listening. I was hired to do a series of communication trainings for the Department of Environmental Protection. And in my state of Maine here, we have what's known as field operators that would go into rural places, coastal places, and engage with landowners who were planning to do something or had already done something that was in violation of some environmental statute. So you can imagine the tenor of these conversations. Some of them included large dogs. Some of them included firearms. They were not friendly. And these field operators are scientists. They are data geeks. They are committed to keeping our environment as pristine as possible so that we can pass down land to the next generation and the one after that. But I realized in talking to them that what they were listening for in these conversations were opportunities to share their bulk of knowledge. But how well does more facts and figures and data change people's minds? they were finding out not so much. And that was the source of their frustration. So I realized that the mission wasn't about getting these individuals to communicate better. It was about getting the field operators to listen in an entirely different way for entirely 
different information. And I started to get curious because the same way we have communication styles and learning styles, maybe we also have listening styles. Maybe depending on our profession, our natural habits, our biases, the way we were raised, maybe we are really set up to listen for only certain kinds of information and let the others wash by. I mean, when you think about it, we are a culture that's saturated in information. So how do we tease out the relevant parts? So I started getting curious about my own listening. And during this time, my teenage daughter, Skylar, was going through a really hard adolescence, sort of the classic sucky adolescence. So that meant that night after night, we'd be sitting out on the back deck, holding her hand, blowing her nose, wiping the tears, night after night after night. Now, prior to this, I was starting to play with three modalities of listening, head listening, heart listening, hand listening. The field operators were largely head listeners, right? They're looking for data, what's proven, what's already known, what's been certified and known to be a fact from the past. Heart listeners are looking for the truth underneath the words, underneath the content, facial expression, body language, vocal tone, right? Those sorts of signals. Some people are expert at tuning into that. So they could almost, almost divorce their attention from the content to tune into the, the truth that's being communicated physically. Hand listening is largely about taking those two dimensions and taking the best parts of both and putting them into action to solve problems. So hand listeners are looking for problems to solve. Their motivating question is, what can we do about it? So after weeks of sitting on the deck with my teenage daughter, I had run out of heart listening capacity and I was into hand listening. Yeah, this sucks. What can we do about it? Whereupon she would just, she would look at me and go, mom, I just need you to listen, right? I was like, well, I have been for about three weeks and I'm, this is sounding like a broken record to me. Let's do something different. So both of those situations got me curious about my own listening, what I was missing in listening, why that was happening, and how I could tweak it and intentionally build my listening skill in the channels where I am not so proficient. At the same time, my husband, who's a pretty good head listener, he also could sit there night after night, hand her the tissue box and just say, yeah, that sucks, right? I'm going, wow, you've got far more capacity than I do in this juncture. So what is that about? So those were the questions that sort of fueled the model for me. It's so exciting. And I suspect most coaches, at least skilled, impactful coaches, specialize in heart listening. Oh, uh, yes, I would think as well. 
I've always called it holographic listening. And so exactly, it's this sense of people's energy when they say something or how their body shifts or how their voice shifts or certainly energetic words always draw me when somebody says disgusting. I'm like, hmm, what's under there, right? And so it really is listening with an abundance of curiosity. And I think what you're saying is there's also a really important place to, well, this is what happened in the past and because it helps us understand what's influencing this heart response. And then with the the hand listening, the thing I want to distinguish here because I'm I feel like I am on a mission to remind all of us as uplifters and helpers and caregivers that nobody likes advice and that we we have this really beautiful loving urge to fix, right? And it's known as the writing reflex. And and we we want to help And so I think that hand listening could be misinterpreted as let's get in there and fix you. And I don't think that's what you're saying at all. So I want to make that distinction that we're not saying listen to fix, but listen to unlock activation within the speaker to help them tune into their answers. And that was, you know, that that was a lesson that I had to learn, honestly, because I am. I'm, I think most coaches do. We like to be helpful or we wouldn't do this work. That's right. I know exactly what you should do. It's like, oh, no, no. And I do. I have this benefit of being at a distance to see that. But you're the only one in it. But the point is to elicit the capacity in the client to take action, to activate their own hands listening, right? To go forward that way. And that's a lesson I continue to learn. I'm always making myself take a deep breath, sit back and ask a question, ask a question instead of giving advice. That's the way I'm wired and that's a tussle for me, but I am getting better. If I'm hearing you correctly, the work that you've done is really to aim to help people understand where they have a listening imbalance and to achieve a more holistic listening style. And to understand going into a conversation, what your intention is, what you are trying to build, what you are trying to cause in the person you're speaking to. If I have a conversation with a client, it's going to be different than a conversation I have with, say, a collaborator. There's going to be a different amount of intentionality. And so if I know that going in, I know both what my pitfalls are and what kind of listening I need to strengthen in order to have the best conversation I can have. I also have to go in knowing what my biases are. And how do people get a sense of what their listening style is like for other people. I think there's a, well, there's a, an interesting assessment in the book that I take people through. And there's also one on my website, Kim Dakin, K-Y-M-D-A-K-I-N.com. I tell you a true story that happened to me and I stop it at certain junctures and you can list the things that you've retained and what you retain 
is a clue to your listening style. Can we try it right now? Sure. If you're listening and you'd like to go through this, I invite you, and I invite you as well, Aransas, to uh, have a way to note down what strikes you when I'm telling you this story and what you retain. All right, this is a true story. This happened to me in March of 2016. It was around 1230 in the afternoon. The weather was clear and sunny and even a little warm. And for those of you who have spent time in Maine in March, you know that a day like this is heaven because it's very rare. It's mud season in March. Well, I was running late that afternoon to an appointment, which is not unusual, but not so late to where I'm going to push 80 miles per hour in the southbound interstate. However, the guy in front of me is doing 60 miles per hour, and I need to get to where I'm going before next Tuesday, so I go to pass him. Now, I am listening to NPR. I am drinking my coffee in my to-go mug. I signal. I pull over into the passing lane, and I've just passed the car to my right when I become aware that I am seeing a silver SUV barreling down the highway in my lane, coming directly at me. I would judge his distance at maybe 100 yards. So for only a split second, I cannot believe what I'm seeing, but I immediately dive into the right lane and he passes me by what feels like a few feet, but was probably more than like a few yards. I am shocked. I am angry at this near collision. And I am grateful that I had time to get out of the way. But by now, I am tempted to pull over into the breakdown lane to stop shaking. But I'm going over 75 miles per hour, and I'm still late. So I keep going, though I have slowed down considerably. There are now one, two, three, four cop cars passing me in the northbound lane in an attempt to follow the person in the SUV, who must, of course, be a criminal or a terrorist, bank robber, a domestic abuser. That night on the news, there was a very brief mention of an elderly man who got confused when he entered 95 using the off-ramp. Instead of pulling over, he panicked and floored it into oncoming traffic. The police finally stopped him, but not until he had gone almost three miles. There were no injuries or casualties. We were all very lucky. The traffic was relatively light at that time of day. I was very grateful for having had enough time to avoid disaster. But it bothered me that I had jumped to the conclusion that this poor, confused old guy had been a criminal of some sort. It also bothered me that I hadn't seen the SUV sooner than I had. Was I just zoning out in the passing lane? Well, later that week, driving down that same stretch of highway, I realized that there are gradual turns and rises in the road that pretty much obliterate visibility at certain sections, including the section where that confused old man nearly rammed into me. To this day, I think twice about passing a vehicle if there are no other cars ahead of me in the passing lane and I can't see more than a half mile ahead. 
What an incredible story. Yeah. Still makes me shaky. Oh, I'm sure. All right. So what did you come up with? You really painted a beautiful picture of this very special day and this this magical moment and how quickly that changed into something really intense and terrifying. And I was really struck by the way you tuned into gratitude alongside the shock and the anger and yet transitioned that immediately into your focus and your purpose to keep going. And then as you guided us back through sort of the postscript here, that moment that you saw the police, I, I did pick up immediately on those assumptions about who this man was. So that it was really powerful that you too identified that and, and got curious about what was underneath your, your conclusion there that, that perhaps this man might be somebody different than, than you thought. Again, you mentioned gratitude. So there's a real theme of feeling overwhelmed or worried and then identifying gratitude. So I suspect that is a, a honed strength within you. And then sort of the final section for me, I, I, the thing I thought was most interesting is that you noticed some self-blame there and really looking for your own accountability in this situation. And then you went to grab more data. And you got curious about what was true for you. And in doing so, you identified not just opportunities to keep in perspective your own response to things, but also your future choices and how you might later adjust your approach to driving, particularly on these stretch of roads, based on this experience. That was beautiful. Thank you. And thank you. It was an amazing story. Well, you could see why the details matter. When head listeners listen to this, they are aware of the numbers. They are aware of how fast I was going, how much distance between me and, and the guy who's coming in the SUV. It's also interesting to me that certain people have said, I thought the guy was coming behind you when I tried really hard to be very clear that he is coming at me. And that is interesting data too, right? The pictures that are formed in people's minds. That's kind of an aside. But most, the, the, the majority of the information that you just gave back to me indicates to my ear that you are a very strong heart listener. You were giving me, even when you described, you went back for more data. You went right into curiosity. You went into gratitude. And it was beautiful. You noticed how often I picked up on gratitude, the way I painted the, the platform of the story, where we start, right? And then the SUV is the tilt, right? We start with normal, everything's hunky-dory, and then SUV. There was also that piece in the, at the, at the end where you noticed I went back to take care of myself and adjust the way I drive in the future. That is a piece of hands listening. 
we have all three of these things going at once. But for some of us, most of us, two of these channels are stronger than one of them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And and I th- I feel that so deeply that I I don't recall details and facts. And my mother does, like she is Jeopardy queen. And I just sit there with my mouth on the floor. I know my husband's addicted to Jeopardy too. Same thing. It's amazing. And I'm in awe of those people, but that is not how my brain works. And I could tell you it was silver. I could tell you it was close. I could tell you it was fast. And I think you said those details, but they really, they not only were they not the focus for me, but I felt like they would be a distraction from really hearing you. There you go. And that is heart listening. That's heart listening in a bucket. And what you also uh, mentioned, you know, your mother's Jeopardy queen, people who can retain and then bring out facts when needed. They're astounding to me. I'm just in awe. And I so wish I had that capacity, particularly when I'm having an argument with my husband because he's got all these facts that he could throw in. I think too, something that that comes up a lot in my work is I think a lot of women have an I'm not smart enough gremlin. And I think a lot of it is driven by greater heart listening than head listening. And I think part of what I really love about this model that you've created is it reinforces the power of different types of listening. And it does not make us any less smart or valuable. No, and that was my mission. Because the same way, you know, we have learning styles and communication styles, we also have listening and retention styles. You know, what sticks with you about my story is the emotional journey that I went on, that you experienced vicariously. And, you know, how fast I was going, what color the SUV, it's it's a detail and it's like, you know, these are not important. What's important is the journey and the learning. That's what's important. And when you think about it, the way that our world is wired, we're all screaming at each other. Nobody's listening to each other. Trust is breaking down. Relationships are fraying. What our world desperately needs is more heart listening. And so let's claim it. Let's use it, right? Let's get into the world and dig in and build those trusting relationships across difference. And what would be different if doctors were heart listeners? If lawyers were heart listeners, if construction workers and real estate agents were heart listeners. What I had to teach those field operators to listen for with those landowners, instead of just junctures where they could spit out more facts, what is this person trying to build, right? What's the dream underneath the action? How can you position yourself as an ally in building that dream. If he wants to pave over the wetlands, what is it he really wants to do? He wants to build a playground for his grandkids 
So his kids will come and visit him more often. What can you do to get behind that dream? Once you find out what that dream is, then you can build an alliance with that person. Yes. Instead of being in conflict, you are in collaboration. That's right. That's right. Exactly. But you have to listen for different information. You have to find a way to tease that out. That seems to be a capacity that we seem to have lost. I did some research on a lot of different foundations and organizations that are building amazing ways for people to connect across difference. Restorative justice, braver angels, and there's a coffee house effort to try to get people from different places in the political spectrum to share how they feel and what their stories are that dictate their political opinions. We have to find a way to have these conversations in this country with respect before we can knit ourselves back together as a nation. We will get those links from you, Kim, and be sure to share those. So as you're listening, you can find those links in the show notes. And and Kim, for folks who want to get better at heart listening, what are some of the questions they might lead with to help them establish that intention? I'll give you an example. A client that I'm working with is a landscape architect. And her company has put together a proposal that has to get passed uh, for one of the townships here in Southern Maine. She's facing a lot of nimbyism, not in my backyard, pushback from citizens. And I, I asked her to have a one-on-one conversation with the head NIMBY just to find out certain things like what is most important to you? Who do you most want to take care of? What do you feel you most need to protect? What is most valuable to you? What is a total non-negotiable? And to really listen, what is the story behind your statement? And to really listen and pay attention. Write things down. Reflect back. The principles of active listening have been with us for a while. So we mirror physically, facially, maybe vocal tone. We reflect back what we're hearing. But after a while, I start to feel like instead of active listening, people are acting like they're listening. That's such a good quote. (laughs) Instead of active listening, they're acting like they're listening. We've heard the term get curious, not furious. If you can manage to ask a why question or a how question or a what's behind that for you question. Yeah, I think that what's behind is really important. I was thinking a lot about assumptions as you were talking in this. There is there is something for these people who are saying, not in my backyard, there is something they have seen that makes them believe this will have negative consequences. So what is that? And I do that with clients all the time. I'm like, who, whose voice are you hearing? That's right. What story is this reminding you of? And I think once we get that piece of information, we start to understand in a very different way 
what they're envisioning. Because again, you painted a picture for me in your story. And we paint those pictures all day in our own minds based on our lived experience. So as we begin to wrap up here, Kim, one of the things that I think is most important for us to talk about in every single episode is how uplifters care for themselves while caring for everyone else. So what does that look like for you? How do you sustain your good work in the world? It's pretty simple, but it's hard for me sometimes to remember. That when I'm faced with stress of any kind, self-generated or from outside myself, if I can first take at least three deep breaths, create space for myself, immediately that will calm me down, that will activate calmer responses. Once I do that, I can start to get curious And curious gives me a little distance from my emotional response, which may be panic. It could be anger. It could be confusion. I can get curious. And finally, and this is the foundation of part listening, I can have empathy for myself if if my panic response is because I've made a mistake. I can know that I'm still a good person. I just made a mistake. I can probably find a way to fix it. And of course, empathy for whoever else is involved in whatever stressful situation is happening right now. It's breathing and curiosity. If I don't moderate myself and modulate that impulse, I can get myself into trouble. And at best, I'm stuck on the surface of my life, if that makes sense. I'm on the hamster wheel going really, really, really fast. But I'm not offering myself the opportunity to go deeper into my own experience. And that's where curiosity happens. That's where empathy happens. And that's where better informed actions take place. What an amazing answer, Kim. Thank you for that. So for all of you listening, you uplifters out there, taking care of everyone and everything, Perhaps this conversation is a little reminder to check in on our listening and to consider maybe where we are listening with less than our whole hearts and our hands. Because no matter how much we, we practice that, there will be scenarios and there will be moments where We cannot fully tune in and be present. And oftentimes, I think that happens with the people we care about the most. So as we round down this episode, perhaps you can carve out five minutes for yourself to take three deep cleansing breaths and to get curious about where you might have the capacity to listen a little bit more deeply, to hear a bit more. Thank you for listening. Kim, thank you for being here. And I will see all of you amazing, beautiful people over at the Uplifters Podcast dot com where we share lots more uplifter stories lots more resources 
to give us all a little boost when we need it, as well as research and ideas that can help fuel our inner fires. Thank you for listening to the Uplifters podcast. If you're getting a boost from these episodes, please share them with the uplifters in your life and then join us in conversation over at the upliftherspodcast.com. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast and like, follow, and rate our show. It'll really help us connect with more uplifters and it'll ensure you never miss one of these beautiful stories. Mwah! Big love! Painted water sunshine With rosemary and tongue Dwell in the perplexing Though you find it vexing Toss a star and hover Be your own best lover Relish in a new prime Plant a tree in springtime Dance without all hindsight Sun to twilight, lift you up. Whoa, lift you up. Whoa, lift you up. Whoa, lift you up. Lift you up. Mommy, stop crying. Mommy, stop crying. You're disturbing the peace.